Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Motor City Metrics here at Tigers Minor League Report or TigersMLReport.com. I am Rogelio Castillo. Alongside me is Chris Brown and Uper. And we didn't post, by the way, I didn't post Monday's show because it was so YouTube, it was too much of a visual when I went to go edit it that it was also well, like just a show of one of our most nonsense shows. It was a really good show, though. And it was a fun show. It's actually, ironically enough, the, one of the most highest viewed ones we've had. But yeah, nevertheless, it's been a very long week for Tiger fans as Jim Price, the color and for Dan Dickerson since about 1999-2000 passed away. His last game, both Chris and I were both at his last game, ironically enough, no hitter. Was that really his last game? Did he not That was his last game? game. Wow. That was his last game. Man, we're bad luck this year. Hmm. We, I guess we were there for a no hitter, but We've we've gone to a couple minor league games and ended up being the last games for those guys are still alive at least. But yeah, those last yeah. game for Chase Kirby and Chase Kirby yes. and and somebody else. Who else did we go see the last game? There was somebody else too. Oh, Billy Leshner. It may have been. It was a yeah. Yeah. but in, in any event, yeah, that, that, that was a, a real. It, it didn't come as a shock, right? We knew that he he hadn't been in good shape and he'd been missing a lot of games, but it's still. When it happens, it's still a giant bummer. Yeah. And a Grim Reaper and the Minister of Death, you guys. Yeah, they, they're undefeated. And <laughs> this, to me, I thought that Dan Dickerson did a really good job with handling the, giving him his upper respect. By the way, the Tigers did release Ashton Gruneau from AAA. So oh, that rotation, just happened? Yeah, that just happened. So the rotation, as according to Evan Woodbury of MLive, Wentz, Hanafi, Olafian, Montero, Salmons, and Trimble is currently rehabbing right now. But I get back to, I, I'm trying to find the audio right now, but Dickerson did a really nice tip of the cap to to Jim Price. And the whole, the, the way that the Hikers did it, Chris, you were there for that. It, it seemed yeah. like a very classy th- way they handled it. Yeah, it, it was, they did a great job, I thought. And, and I did hear, I think, the, the Dan Dickerson calls or whatever he went through and found a bunch of times where, where Dan paid a really nice tribute to the Jim Price during the game without making a huge scene of it. Just They, they just were enjoying his life and, and enjoying the things we all loved about it, his catchphrases and the things like that. But yeah, at the stadium, it was a, a moment of silence. They gave him a nice 30-second, 45-second like tribute to talk about him. And then it was a moment of silence, 10, 15 seconds. And then they had his, his jersey up in the broad, broadcast booth. And then basically after that, it was just, they, they had him announce Miguel Cabrera coming to bat, which was a nice, nice. Yeah. And then in, in between the sixth and seventh inning, the only other thing that they mentioned about it was they, they zoomed in on a woman who was wearing a, a Jim Price shirt that uh, they zoomed in closer to just said something about catchers being attractive and smart, which was, I thought it was like a really nice touch of, to capture like his whole personality where you, you've got just kind of the, the, the silly, funny side too. Yeah. I, I thought they did a great job of it. And. Tigers were out there and, and played a hell of a game for him. Really, it was a shutout. You got to see the art of pitching from Eduardo Rodriguez. You got a home run from the catcher. It, yeah, it couldn't have gone any better for Jim Price. So we, what we're going to do is, by the way, thank you for the $5. We're not going to play what we usually play. We're going to play a special one for you. Anytime anybody donates. Donnie Kelly, baby! So we had, we had to do it. Donnie Kelly! All right, and uh, here I, I found some audio. I wanted to play this real quick here. 
and dedicated to my longtime partner, Jimmy Price. Passed away last night. Swinging a foul straight back. Been a tough year health-wise for Jim, and we want to celebrate his life tonight. Just all the good times that we had together, the great seasons that we broadcast games together. Pitch bounces up to home plate. We've got a few audio clips as well from his broadcast career for you on this game dedicated. Here it is. It's my partner, Jimmy Price. Passed away today. There it is. Tonight's broadcast dedicated to my longtime partner, Jimmy Price, who passed away last night, born in 1941. Hmm. The strike one, swinging and a miss, slider down in a way. 55 years ago this month, anybody of certain age, and I am putting myself squarely in that category. You're around in the year 1968, swing and a miss, Jake Rogers strikes out. Man, that slider is wicked. Yeah, it is. He is wiping people out. That's six strikeouts, first nine batters for Sonny Gray. one nothing Tigers in the third. Anybody of a certain age remembers the year of the Tiger record released? Man, they got that thing out, I think, before the World Series even hit. Manufacturers Bank, and we wore those grooves out. <laughs> the year of the Tiger. And what? So I don't know if anybody's familiar with the year of the Tiger, because some of our audiences, we have, a young, we have some young audience. But uh, I want to play that real quick, too, before we move on and, and get to the baseball part of the conversation. The Tigers won the series against the Twins, and there's plenty to get to with that because there's some clutch hitting and there's some good pitching that happened yeah. today. And But, yeah, we'll get to I'm just trying to find. There we, Listen to that there we go. Here at Tiger Stadium. You should might kick us off for this, but what a climax! You are wonderful. This pennant, what a great gift to destroy with Bob from the Tiger. Go get him, Tiger. We're all behind our base, watching. Go get him, Tiger. All right, all right. That's uh, yeah. That was kitschy, but it was good yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's it's a good reminder of how long ago 1968 was. Yeah, like the Beatles were around, and then Beatles were almost broken up. Right, things had changed, but uh, the popular music was still ridiculous. It sounded like <laughs> in 1948. What's What's interesting about 1968 that ties into another person that passed away this year, and that was Ro- or this week was Robbie Robertson, who was the guitarist yep. of the band, and songs from the Big Pink. Music from the Big Pink came out in 1968. So if you're familiar with the song, The Way Up on Cripple Creek, or I'm sorry, that, that came out a year later, but that album came out in 68. Uh, Robbie Robinson, Alon Holm, Rick Danko, Garth Hudson, and Richard Manuel, and sometimes Mickey Jones on the, well, the, the, well, the core of the band, really. And uh, yeah, that, that kind of affected me too, because Robbie Robinson, although it can be argued that he, Screwed over the rest of the band with uh, royalties and everything. That's another, I could do a whole podcast about my real true feelings for Robert Robinson, but still sucks. And then Pee Wee Herman died. Pee Wee Herman. Just. Yeah. yeah that's Pee Wee Herman's a big one from, from our youth. I, I, yeah. you know, I don't know for sure if Robbie Robertson was 
I don't know. You know. I don't know enough about the band to know if he wrote those songs, but uh, the one that uh, their classic, The Wait, right? Yeah. He, he was Canadian, right? Yeah, they were from Toronto. You would never, ever, ever, ever know. That was like a, like a pure Southern rock song. And then I think they wrote a song called The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which sounds like it's, it sounds like a perfect Southern folk tune from like 1880. It, yeah, when I, realized he wrote it i was stunned because or, or they wrote it because it, it yeah it sounds like it's like it was actually a really good song I, I heard it performed by joan baez actually but yeah yeah it's a bummer and then the sugar man guy died right the the, the one yeah the, the rock and roller from detroit that kind of was in obscurity until there's a documentary about him right yeah it was huge in south africa was it yeah because of apartheid yeah. that was it was like they used it as a rallying cry against apartheid i should say but uh, yeah, it's, but by the way, I should mention that majority of the band was from Toronto with the exception of Levon Helm, who was from, I believe, I believe he was from the South. No, I believe he was either in the South or New York. I can't remember uh, where like Woodstock area, I believe, but originally a lot of them, uh, the core of the band was with Screaming Ronnie Hawkins, who was based out of Toronto's rockabilly. And I'm sorry. So Levon Helm was from Arkansas. So I want to double check check that out but yeah it's uh, and by the way it's a I, I think about this this way like it's almost half the almost majority of the bands i like are from canada sloan the band let's see here i am a big fan of socrates the rapper <laughs> no but the sam roberts band i'm a big fan of rush so it's really weird some of the, it's just canadians make some fantastic music so very naked ladies Corey. Uh, Jake, did you say? Did you say Corey Hart? Yeah, that Corey Hart reference. Jay Giles band. Are they from Canada? No, they're from Cleveland and Boston. Uh, who am I thinking of? Yellow. Well, you are. You wrote that one. Emerson, is it Yellow? Emerson, Lincoln Palmer. One of those people. That... I think. Yeah. What, yeah. I think they were. Uh, I know the Guess Who was. And, uh, and what about uh, Gord? Gord. From, uh, oh, uh, Gordon Lightfoot. Lightfoot. No, Gordon Lightfoot. But the other guy, the guy. Who, Gordon uh, from uh, Tragically Hip. Who just passed Tragically Hip. There you go. Yeah. 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 They're Canadian. Nickelback is Canadian, yes, Ninja, Ninja Bees, but I'm not going to acknowledge it. But but Jim Price, let's get back to the core of the debate. I was going to say, Jim Price, for me, living here in Iowa, uh, especially since we have moved here, with all the blackouts, I listened to a lot more radio at almost any point in my life since the 80s, probably, here in Iowa. So that was all Jim Jim Price. And my first... You think of he's, you think of him as a little bit corny, right? Because you hear a lot yeah. of the same phrases a lot. But boy, it really, after a while, you get so comfortable with it, and you expect it, and you can predict it sometimes. And there's something comforting about that. He knew you're going to hear the word keyhole. You're yeah. going to hear the tools of intelligence, those kind of things, nice area, whatever. And he didn't have to be dynamic. He just had to be Jim Price and. You could tell that his, his love of the Tigers was real. It was a genuine thing. It wasn't something I don't think he was amping it up just to be on the air. Uh, I think he really loved the organization and the city that much. And he loved his job. So I was uh, going to be hard to replace. And I'm sure they're going to go with Andy Dirks and uh, Bobby Scales. And they're fine. But that's not going to be the same. That's for sure. Yeah, I got a chance to meet him for the first time officially in the sp- spring training this year. And he... I, I, I saw him in the booth a few times before, but it was like I actually introduced myself when I was going into the broadcaster in the spring training. So very nice gentleman. 
just, again, the pricisms. This is, if you think about the late 90s in Detroit in terms of TV and radio power in baseball alone, but even in just in football, you had Mark Champion, who was damn pretty good, but then he got booted because he was too negative about the Lions. <laughs> Go figure. Then you had, you had George Blaha, who I, I love George Blaha, one of my favorite announcers yeah. of all time. You, it, but then with the, you have the, the a, a wealth of the Tigers broadcast was so deep. You could go Frank Bettman. You could go with Ernie Harwell, Josh Levin, or Josh Levin, who was on the first couple of years of Fox Sports Detroit. He was a good guy. He was really good at broadcasting, but uh, yeah, Dickerson. And then even sometimes Ray Lane, local channel 50 guy. They, it was just, it was stacked in price found a place in there because he was just himself. And, but uh, yeah, also I, the MLB. I, Go ahead. I just said one last thing. I went through a phase where I, I was, I didn't like hearing Jim Price. Probably there toward the end of the aughts where I was tired of the shit. But then I came back around and I appreciated it because he was, he was an unabashed homer. And sometimes you want that. You could, because it was beyond like celebrating. It, it was like he would get super upset when the Tigers did something dumb. And I appreciated that because that's how I felt. And Dan Dickerson plays it straight. He always has. He, he, his voice doesn't change no matter who's hitting the home run, generally speaking, unless yeah. you walk off, something like that. But, but so it was nice to have that yin, yin and yang there. And uh, yeah, we talked about it before, and we'll be real with it. Like, he probably shouldn't have been broadcasting this year. He was, he was the game we had cast him by. But how do you tell that guy to stop doing it? This is right. probably basically the, the, the main thing he had in his life now was coming down to the ballpark, and that was his office for... 50 plus years. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, hopefully he's in a nice area now. Yes. Yes, he is. And yeah, it's, it's the way that, again, props to the Tigers, the way to handle everything and just the pivot like that. They're in an important series too, where the Tigers take three out of four from the twins. And they're now, I think six back or seven back of Minnesota as they head to Boston and struggling, but more than a little later, but uh, so we're getting informed here on our YouTube chat, the MLB pipeline as Max Clark at number 15 and Colt Keith at number 26. And we got a lot of crap for putting Colt Keith, Colt Keith at number one. We did? Some people, some people, look, there was a couple comments today. Oh, Max Clark should be number one. Guys, well, who cares? It's a list. Move on. Seriously, move on. If you have a... Entertainment purposes. Yeah, yeah for entertainment purposes and what we see. If MLB Pipeline wants to put... Max Clark over Colt Keith, well, God bless him. I don't care. The way I look at it is we've been out to enough games that we're out there. We have to we prove it. If it was, if we're a site like, I don't know, Prospect 1500, where they have a guy who, hey, John from so-and-so, you're going to put the top 10, 15, or top three tiers of Tiger prospects, but you've never watched the game. I'm just going to go and summarize what I've seen elsewhere. Go for let's it. Look, let's look at their value yeah, let's look at batting averages or bat bat fit. I mean, anyway, I, I have zero problem. Somebody uh, putting Clark over Keith. It's close, right? Yeah. The the I think we just leaned on the guy who's performed all the way up to AAA, right? Over yeah. over the recent draft pick, who is admittedly awesome so far. And his yeah, it's I think through six pro games, he's got eight hits. I'm mean, two of them don't can't, count yet. can't be bothered with singles. He's so yeah. good, he cannot be bothered with singles. Yeah. That's why I was like, why not? Or nothing. He doesn't have many steals yet because he's 
always hitting doubles and homers. So yeah, I mean, he's super exciting. It's nice to see him on, on there. The one thing I, I was mentioning to you, I listened to the the Pipeline podcast, Top 100 Rewrite Preview podcast, and they mentioned how they got a bunch of feedback from people telling them to, to push Jackson Joe way up the list because he looked awesome. And so, the, and I think the quote was that he's among, he's on the short list of the best pitching prospects in baseball. You're welcome. <laughs> and and what's funny, so yeah, he's, I see he's very third in their system. They got McGonagall fifth. Ayuli is eighth. Parker Meadows is 10th. Looking to see any other ones. Where's Malloy? Uh, Malloy's uh, ninth. Okay. I'm looking, looking, I don't see. Better Montero, 26th. Behind Dennis Reddy and ahead of Luke Gold. It's all right. That's fine. But uh, he did make his, his debut in Toledo tonight. Got hit pretty hard, but also didn't have uh, a ton of good defense behind him and also had like, 17 swings and misses. It was, he was, he was good, but it was the exact sort of thing we've seen where, where the command isn't quite right. If, he, if he's on the edges, it swings and misses. If it's in the middle, it's getting hit hard. And that's just the, one of those last steps that pitchers need to take. Um, By the way, I just saw somebody leave a, DM or other DMs. I think Keith's ceiling is a good player. Clark's ceiling superstar player. Okay. That's I, fine. Again, but, I, that's I don't understand can... the lack of respect for Cole Keith. That, what am well, I missing here? What am I, what am I missing here? The guy has done at his age, know what not a lot of tired players have done in the last 25 years. And we're just going to go, Max Clark's a new shiny thing. We're just going to forget about Cole Keith. What? So the, the, the big, look, I just be... said, because, how you, what's the difference between a, a good player and a superstar? Yes, there's a couple things to qualify for that. That's fine. Come on. Yeah. So the argument well, would be um, that, yeah. no, Tyler. It's the West Michigan. Or, can yeah, can, can you not hear me? It's the West Michigan third team. I hear you. Oh, Raj, oh. You not, Ra oh, sorry. There we go. Sorry, my phone. Oh, sorry, my. It, I pressed the mute button on accident. My bad. Oh, okay. My bad. I my kept bad. talking, and I was like, what, 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 what? Yeah, the difference between Keith and Clark would be that Clark could be an up-the-middle defender with speed. And right. Keith is just pure bat. And that makes him a little bit riskier in terms of just pure bat, pure power. But he's also in AAA yeah. compared to a guy in rookie ball. There's a lot of hurdles in front of Max Clark. So I, I agree Max Clark has a higher ceiling. And that's right. just the whole thing of when, when you're trying to do prospect rankings, how much do you balance ceiling and floor? And we and feel, feel pretty good. Yeah, probably yeah. pretty good about Colt Heath's floor. I think his bat's going to play in the big leagues. He's going through it a little bit right now, which is actually good for him because he'll come out of it a better hitter. But yeah, he, he may end up in outfield corner. Who knows where he'll end up? But uh, maybe Clark will too. We don't know. Yeah, that's so, a, and, and that's what I'm saying. Steve in the YouTube chat said, number two, I don't think that's disrespectful. I don't think that's disrespectful either. But what I'm trying to say is the way that comment came across to me that I just read was, that, oh, just Keith Skin's just going to be a good player. He's not going to be a superstar. That's just a, I'm sorry, but it's just an unbasis thing because of, again, his defensive liability, his defensive liability, yes, will make him a an issue. But again, I just, I see, I am, I've seen a little bit of Max Clark. If I continue to see Max Clark and he does what he's doing at Lakeland, at West Michigan, or he avoids West Michigan and goes straight to double A, then, of course, you make the adjustments accordingly, but I'm just one of those players. I'm just, to me, I think when we did the list, I thought we did a really good job of, of balancing that out. And it's going to be, I just think that it keeps going to, that comment I just read, I don't know, it just irked me the way it was no, said. I, you know, 
I think that we have a fairly strong track record going back to, to putting Riley Green ahead of Hunter Torkelson when, when not many people were doing that, if anybody, to, to Raj putting Cole Keith as his number one prospect last June when he was out with the injured list. So whatever. It doesn't matter. I think justified yeah. it. And it's a close either way you go. One thing I did want to point out, though, just for the Tiger fans who always get angry and upset. Now, Marcelo Meyer is still a top 15 prospect here, but he is now dropping down. He's now behind Jackson Merrill and Jordan Lawler. And on Baseball America, he's also behind Colson Montgomery. That would make him the fourth-ranked shortstop in that draft alone. Jackson Job is rising up the top 100 list. Why is Marcelo Meyer dropping? Because he's hitting 189 in double-A with yes. a 62 WRC plus through 43 games. I People still believe in him. You don't you know, throw out the baby with the bathwater, right? But uh, maybe the confidence in his hit tool is quite there. When I look at his swing, I see... Issues with his his load and his setup. Who knows? Yeah, maybe maybe Al Avila will eventually win the day. Uh, I mean, something. But the uh, day Trebek. Yeah, where is I'm I'm checking to see where Job comes in in their top 100. They were told to move him way up, and he's at 59. He's not way up, but he's one behind AJ Smith's cover, which is interesting. From who's been in, the, been in the majors? Yeah, Cole Keith was here last week in Des Moines. My first look at him in person. I was struck by the broad shoulders. I think there's some power there. I really do come. That's going to be lurking. But he's already showing it at times, but boy, I, I was impressed. He hit a couple balls right on the button that I saw. A couple, one was for an out. Another was for a double in the gap. But for instance, Pete Crow Armstrong was making his AAA debut last week as well. But if they had a fight, Colt Keith would mop the floor <laughs> with that. Armstrong's a little dude. And I was, I don't know if Cole Keith can stick in the middle of the infield. He, he looked almost like he was going to be a little bit too broad shouldered for that, a little too big, if he grows anymore. So I think you're right. I think that corner outfield is going to be beckoning. Although he didn't do anything wrong in the games I saw. He was fine at second base. He had no, no problems on routine plays, but he seems a little big for that spot. So there is a, you know what the thing is too, is like he, I think that, Eventually, you might see him like right field or something like that to, for now, but we, we don't know. But the jo- the Job jump was pretty large. But again, those two starts were the best two we've seen him in a in, in uniform. And Baseball America did their top 30 Tiger players. And Max Clark was number one, Cole Keith two, Job three, Young four, Gibson, or I'm sorry, Madsen, Tiger Matt, or Madden rather, five, Dingler at six, McDonald, McDonald, number yeah, seven. Yep, Flores eight, Lee number nine, which is right on par with us, and Henry Malloy rounds up the top ten. Perker Meadows just outside that. But what's interesting, they had Paul Wilson at number twelve, and Troy Melton at thirteen, so they had him up pretty high there. Yeah, that's, that's a tough one for me. Paul Wilson was their third round pick, right? Talented, got one point seven million dollars, but the prep pitcher. We just, we're talking about Jackson Joe, but prep pitchers could show up and and I wrote, I think even the the report that they can explode in a million different directions like he could show up and be sitting 96 to 99 you're like oh my god yeah. or he might show up and be 90 to 92 and, and spraying the ball everywhere and it's okay this is gonna take a while but i was looking at all the different organizations in the al central because a lot of people online today were talking about contending in prior in the upcoming years right mm-hmm. in the in the division and it's not a stretch to say of, of, in the AL Central, the Tigers might have the best farm system right now. I, yeah, I don't I know who would be above them in terms of what's coming 
to the big league club in the next one to two years. So um, the twins have the twins have Jenkins, Brooks, who they just drafted, and they, they and have Brooks Manuel Lee. Rodriguez, the center fielder with power. And Brooks um, Lee. And Brooks Lee, yeah. So they have a, a pretty nice top three there. I'm not sure about their top pitching prospect. They, there was a guy, yeah. Just, just looking at the list and no, no, nothing jumped out as, oh, hey, he, he'll be there next year to help. I don't see it. I think Cleveland with Gavin Williams has been a big, big help for him this year. Gavin Williams is probably one of the best pitchers I've seen mm-hmm. in our league yeah. since up in the major leagues for a reason now. You can make a case for Cleveland having chased the lot or just where it's kind of, yeah, let's see where he's, he's going to be saying it at. But, uh, he's in high A though, right? I believe yeah. he is. He's gonna, he'll be out of high A soon. He just, uh, I saw him last, last Friday against Job, and he, he was one of the guys who squared up Job, but it was still, it was on the ground, but he got a hit. Um, yeah, I, I, he's a good hitter and a good athlete for an outfielder. Uh, and then but he yes, Kent Cal, uh, Canalito or he, Cantillo, he just pitched tonight. Cantillo. Pitched tonight. Yeah. Cantillo. Yeah. He did a pretty good job shutting down that offense. You're absolutely right. And he's been, he was down. I want to say necessarily down, but he wasn't having, he fell off the prospect list a little bit, if you will. And, mm-hmm. but he's, he's made it tonight, pitched pretty well, five innings, four hits, one run and struck out seven and just had one walk. But uh, Cleveland is a pitching factory. Well, the White Sox did improve their farm system a little bit with the trade deadline, but Kansas City is just a giant mess still. I don't know. Kansas City, but Kevin or Witt is not a prospect more, but he's, he's going to be a beast. Like he's going to be so. Um, is there a roster limit on triple A, double A, and A? There is a roster. It's, it's, I think, I think, I think triple A and double A, I think, are 28, and I think A ball is 30. And I think the complex league, there's zero limits as long as you stay within your domestic reserve list, which is, I think, 180, hmm. 180 total players in your My League system. And that's one of the reasons, like, people are complaining, like, why isn't Clark playing every day? Why isn't McGonagall playing every day? It's like, they've got 70 guys on the roster. They, they've got to try to play some of them. <laughs> Relax, folks. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I just, I just don't think that when you look at the Tigers' top dozen prospects, I don't see how they pale to anybody in the, in the Central. They're right there. If yeah. not, maybe higher than a couple of them. In terms of getting help here in the next couple of seasons, I, I, I think I, I would put an optimistic grade on it. And somebody, yeah. somebody pointed out that, that Justice Bigby made their list, which is, he's at 21. Josh Newman said, Bigby only at 21 is a bit surprising to me, but that's probably a good spot for him. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think other people might be a little bit more cautious than us when adding somebody who wasn't on the list at all to begin the season. But at the end of the Torpedoes, we, we've seen Bigby a lot, and we've seen him perform a lot. And there was a whole big thing. Our buddy Jay Markle is not a believer because he's looking at the stats. And if you just look at the stats, you're right. You're right. He's got a high BABIP. He had a breakout in high A as a 24-year-old. And it's a lot of ground ball contact. But if you watch him, it's extremely hard contact to center and to right field all the time. And he's not, his strikeout rate's like 12%. So it's not, he's not swinging and missing and getting lucky when he puts the ball in play. He's making a lot of contact. He's making a lot of hard contact. And I went through and I look, okay, who... Other players like this because it's and it's it's extreme center right field contact. Seventy five percent of his batted balls go to center or right, and uh, yeah, there there are some players who've done this before, including DJ LeMahieu, who has won two batting titles. This is getting to be a pro. pain in the ass. Excuse my French, but I'm starting to get annoyed here. That's when when after I heard what Jay said. Go continue. What I, I, it, he's got a point, right? When yeah. you see these stats, they are red flags, but you also have to use your eyes. That's the same thing with Spencer Torkelson, right? You look at his StatCast page, 
and he looks like an Adonis. He must have 45 home runs already. He must be hitting 330. No, you got to look at him too and say, okay, that's not a 330 hitter. Like, just see it. And Bigby just hits the ball hard. He gets hits because puts the ball where the defenders aren't. I'm sure his luck will come down. He went 0 for 5 yesterday. No strikeouts with a sack fly and a double play. So that's going to kill the BABIP a little bit. But drop his BABIP from, from 370 to 320. What's he hitting? 300. Hmm. So that'll work. Anyway, that's just my, my little big B diatribe there. Look, and, and here's the thing. I mean, and then we're going to move on to our segments and talk about the, the what happened this week with Quincy, the Tigers. Yeah. Look, I I don't try to gatekeep. I don't do that. I try my hardest. I hate when gate people uh, gatekeep out there. Totally Tigers <clears throat> blog uh, does that. And I don't really care for that at all. But I will say this. When it comes to prospect evaluation, that I'm not by no means are we like the experts or anything but but i like to think because how much baseball we watch that you can look at us and go okay these guys know what they're talking about sometimes we don't and sometimes we're wrong we'll freely admit that but when you're just looking at the stats and just the stats alone that's where i have a problem because if you're gonna if you're gonna present to me okay so he does this or this that or, or defensively he has liabilities okay cool but just don't look at the stats just Look at what you know about baseball, watch him hit, and then make your evaluation. But just don't look at who lose pep hit. It doesn't matter. Sometimes it doesn't matter. Sometimes it matters. Sometimes it doesn't. You talk about the Robson example, Chris. Yeah, there are certain players you go, okay, this is a mirage. When when it's a a 70, 80 runner who's putting the ball on the ground and and taking advantage of terrible defenders, sure, it's fine. But yeah, when you when you're rocking a three seventy three eighty BABIP in, in high A, and then you go up to double A, which is a huge leap, right? We've seen we've seen it claim many players, and you do exactly the same thing. You, you got to notice a little bit, right? And and it doesn't mean that there, there there's things get harder at every step. It doesn't mean that Justice Bigby is going to work out. I think we put a ceiling on him as an average, right, everyday outfielder because he doesn't have the speed. He's not a plus defender or anything like that. It's it's going to be a bat driven profile. But it's a really good bet. I, 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 people, we get caught up on draft status. We get caught up on, on pedigree. And sometimes you just have to look at a guy and go, this is going to work. And you have right. to trust yourself or, or go out there. And, and we, we could definitely be wrong. I think there's also instances where we're probably too familiar with these guys. We watch these guys too much. We don't pay attention too much to maybe the competition isn't great, right? Or maybe... Maybe we just, we haven't seen the weaknesses as much because we're focusing on the strengths. Everybody's got their own biases and stuff, but but we feel pretty comfortable, I think, with, with our rank. I think it would do a good job of pointing out the weaknesses. Case in point, we did that pretty quickly with Nick Quintana. We've done that with other players as well. So it's not, so it's not like we're, like sometimes we've been told we're too negative, which always cracks me up too. So I don't know, you can't please everybody. But so getting to, speaking of things to please everybody, mm-hmm. Luis Olsen today through the second shutout of the series and was dealing and he looked he was he in some spots where there's a, you know, a situation developing and he did a really good job of navigating out of it and he learned from his last start and that's, a, and that's an important thing to look at because tampo was sitting on everything he was pitching in this case he got he looked he made some of the batters look foolish today six innings of shutout ball just two hits he walked three and struck out eight and he was a beast yes he was absolutely a beast and the another one too that i thought that stood out today was, was 
Wiley Green, that home run was a meth. I was a shh, shh, shh. 53, yeah. Yeah, that was just, yeah, that was, li- it was one of those things where I, I guarantee you it probably. Off the Frickers building. Yeah. That would have, that would have, that may have gone through the Frickers window. Yeah. <laughs> Went off to Jackie Robinson sign out there. Yeah, he crushed it. That, yeah, so yeah. it was, it, it, these last three games were really great. Today, like you said, Olsen was, was good. He got himself into trouble a couple of times and, and really expertly fished out of it, I thought. And it was, again, instances where he was dotting the fastball in ways that we just, I didn't think were possible heading into the season. In AAA, he wasn't doing this. He wasn't doing it in AA last year, even though he's throwing a lot of strikes. So, yeah, this is one of those things where you just have to really hand it to Olsen and to the Tigers pitching coaches who figured out a way to help them harness that velocity, which is going to work. It's, it's above average MLB velocity. He's at 95, 96. If yep. you can locate it, that's going to work. And, and the secondary stuff is, is nasty enough to make it get through outings like this. But you mentioned Riley Green. That was awesome to see. Was it McKinstry? Came up with another big hit. He's had a couple, he had a pretty good series, I think. He did. And then, and then how about Bo Brisky? People keep asking, like, hey, why, why is it Bo Brisky going to start? Today's a good example of why. He, well, he hit 99, I think. Yeah, he looks like the second coming of Jason Foley, basically. So, man, all right, that's another another weapon there in the back of the bullpen. So, yeah, ninety eight point six, he topped out at. He's not a huge he, miss guy, but but uh, it's still pretty overpowering in, in a lot of weak contact. He's been, I think, he's pitched thirteen innings since he came back. They don't want to anoint him as the next Craig Kimbrell yet, but he is he is looking very impressive. He looks like a legit guy you can bring out in the seventh, eighth, ninth inning, and so far. He's getting guys out and looking really good doing it. That, that, it's one thing if he was giving up towering blasts that were dying on the track or uh, hot shots everywhere, but he's not. He's, the contact's not been that hard. But he's come out, got a couple saves, a one-out save and a six-out save. That kind of versatility is pretty good. Yeah, especially when he has his changeup going and his changeup has lost a little bit of, in terms of movement from last year, but still effective. And changeup was one of his best pitches in the system and it is weird to see in terms of just that and his sinker. But he, he the fact that, too, Risky's always been a guy who looks calm and collected out there, and he composed himself pretty well. Again, just like, just similar to Kerry Carpenter, drafted in the 19th round. Risky, Risky was drafted in the 26th, 27th round. Late round production. That's yeah. something that you don't see from this team, and that is something that stands out. Because with Kerry Carpenter, by the way, 93rd hit today, he is... Third all time among draft picks that were drafted from round ten on, so ten to fifty, as Eddie Pajak reminded me today that <laughs> drafted one day they had like a ton of round, like so, hundred rounds. So what's up from round ten? So was Higginson? Or oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It was the what did I put the criteria under? I'm trying to remember what I put the criteria. Higginson under. was tenth or twelfth, wasn't he? Yeah, so it would be round thirteen on. Yeah, I'm sorry, round thirteen on. So basically. So, Gabe Kepler. I think it yeah, it's basically. Okay, so here's a list, complete list of. Uh, let me just share my screen real quick because it's a lot easier to share versus. I, was, I don't know. I was just interested in. I'm always interested in that kind of stuff. Let's see here. Uh, yeah. All right. This is the list of players rounded from 13 on. Yeah. Mark Wagner was a part time infielder for the Tigers from 72 to about. Yeah. Till nine, from I'm sorry, from 76 to 78. He was drafted. 120 hits. Gabe Kapler, all, this is all hits in Tiger uniforms, by the way. He was drafted in round 57. Carpenter at round 19. In terms of even home runs, K. 
Harry Carpenter just needs one more home run, and he has the most home runs by any by any uh, drafty pet plate in the round. There's there's more pitchers that came out of this thing than hitters, but still. But to, oh, Sean, thank you so much, by the way. And let me give oh, you I, hold on off the Frickers building. Right, I'm up from Nashville, the Southern yeah, gentleman. He did have a, a, a comment up there. He said, "Brisky brisket is the Houston Street clone. Call me a liar." I, I will say this: the Houston Street had had a borderline elite slider early in his career. I think that was that's a, a pretty big difference there between Brisky. Brisky slider has never really shown much horizontal movement. It's really more of an up and down. Uh, he's thrown really hard, and he might be able to close games. And who knows? Like I think Brisky, we got to remember he doesn't have a ton of big league innings under his belt. I think. Maybe just scratching the surface with what he could do as a as a reliever. And there was an interesting stat too that came out this week that I really it, actually I'll save that for my inside number. Actually, uh, we'll get to an inside number here in a second. But as far as what the Tigers will, what's next for the Tigers as they go to Boston, what the pitching match pitching matchups look like tomorrow will be Tarek School versus TBA. Of course, the ever popular TBA. Matt Manning goes on Saturday and. Erod goes on Sunday against Cutter Crawford. Saturday starter for Boston is Brian Bellow. But uh, yeah, that is what the, the Tigers going into a team. The, Boston's only, I think, five and a half back of the wild card, too. But they've They'll been be struggling playing. a little bit lately, I yeah. think. Yeah, they, no, yeah, I was just going to say, Luke, you, you, they, they've been struggling there. So let's go in. Uh, What's uh, up? Go ahead. I was just going to mention that. Did you see the, the strange ground rule double in the Boston game yesterday? That was cool. Yeah. I missed it. They, they, they broke that light bulb. And the ball, the ball got yeah, stuck the, in there. The ball hit off the green monster, but instead of bouncing off, it went right through the light bulb and stayed in the green monster. Yeah, that was cool. the, yeah, nobody's ever seen it. You know, the Tigers have their two best pitchers going this week, and there's no reason why they don't have a shot take two out of three. Yeah. And, boy, here's the thing, right? I think we've all been in agreement for months now that the Tigers are not realistically contending for the division. But at the same time, it's fun to root for it. I think everybody agrees with that too. If they win two out of three in Boston and can go in and win those two games in Minnesota, they're probably four back at that point. So yeah. they're, if they're under five, then at some point you got to think, well, why not? So uh, it could be fun this week. If they can get two out of three in Boston, that really makes the Minnesota games fun. Should, yeah, definitely going to be a good series. All right, let's go in inside the numbers. And. All right. And, and by the way, the, the trauma over Boston, too. I know that a lot of traumatic things happened in Boston, say 2014. Oh. That's ancient history, folks. All right. So, Uper, what is your inside number? My numbers are 383 and 304. Okay. Today, you may have heard coming out of Korea, they're one of their top players, Jung Hoo Lee, will be posted this year. He's turning 25. So that makes it a lot easier for a player to be posted and, and to move on from Korea and come to the to, to a United States. He just, by looking at some of his numbers and reading some opinions of, of, of some scouts and some other players who've seen him play, if Scott Harris really wants someone who can, quote-unquote, control the strike zone, this is a guy who's shown it for seven years already in the KBO and has developed some power as a 407 lifetime on-base percentage. He's walked more than he's struck out in his career. It'll be really interesting to watch Scott Harris's second offseason and see if they make some forays into Asia 
and other parts where they where the Tigers traditionally haven't done a whole lot. Now, so I'm really anxious to see that. I'd like to know maybe if some of the people he's hired has any connections there. This Lee is going to be a Boris client from everything I can find. So that that's another dimension to the whole thing. He's also got to want to come to Detroit. It takes two to tango. But I'm very interested to see if a player like this with the statistical package that comes with him, the game he plays, if that's something Scott Harris is going to go after and if the Tigers want to afford him. We shall see. With all the money that's coming off the books, there's that question. Whether the, I'm, I'm looking for the standard. We have the rookie or we have the youth movement. We're going to push. We're not going to spend money. We'll see what happens. Well, he's 25. He's not that old. Yeah. Youth <laughs> well, yeah, a, as far as that goes. There's a nice write-up on him at, at uh, Fangraphs. If you go to their international prospect board, they have him fourth behind Roki Sasaki and a couple really big-time wow. names. And he's, I, I, I didn't know this. Apparently, his dad was a superstar. His dad was like the Korean Ronald Acuna Jr. Had a year where he stole 80 bases and hit 20-plus home runs. So, yeah, that would, if you're, if you're starved for offensive talent, just pay for it. You could pay for it. You have to convince 100%. them to come. You have to convince them to come to Detroit. But uh, if you show them the money, I think he's an outfielder, which yes. may complicate things a little bit, but really holding him back. Yeah. Exactly. And it's just a matter of obviously a lot of Asian players tend to go to the coast. That's been the tradition, but they have it all. You Darvish didn't. Fukudome didn't. He went to Chicago and they're like, the guy went, the Korean player, I forget his name, went to Pittsburgh. So it's not like Detroit can't compete. Down. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's the money. Does Chris Illich want to spend the money? I wish I'm a broken record on. But we'll see. I think it would be, again, I'm just struck by the kind of offensive game he, he seems to have would fit with what Harris wants. Yeah, I would think so. And it's just outside the spend, too. It, lately, it's been seemed like a culture fit, too, sometimes to a certain extent. But because, like, Pittsburgh started a trend where they're drafting Taiwan players and now yeah, I'm a little right. bit of pipeline for them. That's the thing. I think we mentioned that before. Like, it, it really only takes one. You, you get right. one player who works out well, and suddenly you're a team that people pay attention to in Korea. Yeah. And and then the next group of Koreans was like, cool, I'll play with the Tigers. So, yeah, and that'd be an awesome, awesome get. But it's, it's, it's always tough, though, to pull these guys away from bigger market teams. So, we'll see. All right. Chris, what's your inside the number? My inside the number is 50. That is... The number of strikeouts for Reese Olsen through his first 10 big league starts. Now, he, he has pitched relief in three games, so it's not you know, exactly. He had eight strikeouts in those three relief appearances, but I thought 10, 10 starts was a nice round number, right? And, and so 50 strikeouts is tied for fifth all time for Detroit Tigers uh, pitchers through their first 10 starts. Tied with Drew Smiley, actually. So the only, only Tigers with more strikeouts through 10, 10 starts are Schoolboy Rowe in Virgil Trucks with 51 apiece. Spencer Turnbull had 52 which kind of shocked me. And Michael Fulmer had 57. Those are the only one higher than Reese Olsen. And then I went through and I looked, all right, what about, what about some more famous names? Well, how did they do? So Mickey Lulich had 48. Yeah. Jeremy Bonderman and Andrew Miller both had, and Denny McClain, they all had 47. Jeff Weaver with 45. Hal Newhauser with 44. Scoobal, 43. Mark Fidrich had 40, which kind of shocked me, but he pitched 90 innings. Oh, yeah. starts. <laughs> 90 plus <laughs> innings. Uh, 150 pitches had, per inning, per yeah. game. They, Casey Mize at 39, and Justin Verlander, only 34 through his first 10 starts. The same as Rick Porcello, which I thought was interesting. And then you got to get that rookie Mark. year where Pudge was saying, I think he'll be a closer. Yeah. yeah. He wasn't overpowering I mean, as a starter yet. He threw 100, right? But it wasn't 
he was still more of a thrower. He had, he had that curveball, and, and his changeup wasn't fully completed. It's funny to remember that. That yeah, I think his, he had like strikeouts per nine that year. But yeah, and then Jack Morris had 31. So Reese Olsen, it's a pretty good company. You know, strikeouts have, strikeouts have gone up across the board, right? So it's probably not as impressive as some of those other ones. Still worth noting. But. That's good. That's a good one right there. My number is 8%, and that is the, in terms of the lowest rate of plate appearances by non-productive hitters since 1920. That would be the Braves. But there's a team ahead of them. The 1984 Detroit Tigers, 5%. 5%. That is the lowest rate of plate appearances by non-productive hitters. That's insane. Yeah, you I, look, that is ahead. amazing. I think that was from um, Mike B. Petriello. Yep. Uh, right? Yeah, yeah I was just going to give him proper credit for that. I, I just wanted it because what, what he, I think how he defined it was, was players with a WRC plus of 95 or below. Yeah. So... 95% of the Tigers in 1984, their played were from guys with a WRC plus of, of 96 and up, which is insane. Wow. So I must be like Rusty Kuntz. And I, was, was Pat Sheridan in that year? I don't know. What, oh, no. Sheridan, Sheridan came up to later, right? 86, I want to say. Yeah. Did Rod Allen have a cup of coffee that year? Yeah, he did. He did. Yeah. He, he but, might be on there. No, he, he played, he had 31 played appearances, but he batted 296. Oh. So Scott Earl, bad 114. Doug, ba- Doug Baker, who had over 100 plate appearances, would qualify for that. He batted 185. Utility man, yeah. Yeah, and Marty Castillo. Marty Castillo was definitely in that in that realm. But the Tigers... In he shamed the Castillo name. Yeah, he, he had shamed the Castillo name. He damn right he did. He hit into that double play that knocked in a run in the Kansas City series. That was huge. Yeah, but if you look at the amount of players that the Tigers had with at least two war, the war machine was crazy. Alan Trammell, 6.7. Chat Levin, 6.2. Kirk Gibson, 5.1. Willie Hernandez, 4.8. Lou Whitaker, 4.3. Dan Petrie, 3.5. Lance Parrish, coming at 2.8. Jack Morris, the ace of the staff, 2.5. Rupert Jones, 2.3. Dave Bergman, love Dave Bergman, 2.1. And then Tommy Brookins at 2. Did you say Lopez? Did I say Lopez? No, he was 1.8. Oh, okay. So he was, he had a better year in 83 than he did in 84. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Yeah. So this is insane. Yeah. I'm looking at it on, on fan graphs. So you have to go all the way down to Castillo. They're, they have 14 batters with more plate appearances than Marty Castillo. And then he had the, he was the first one with a WRC plus under 97. 114, 99, 139, 142, 134, 107, 106, 102, 99, 114, 97, 139, 132, 129, 86. It's Castillo. That's, that's wow. nuts. <laughs> yes. That's, yeah. In terms of even like a walk rates too, that was a team that also walked a lot. They they could draw walks. Daryl Evans. Yeah. There was two, I think it was it. The, the walk ratio for Lou was 32. He had 62 walks and 63 strikeouts. Trammell, 60 to 63. Biggest discrepancy among some of the regulars was Howard Johnson, 40 to 67. That's not even that much compared to Larry Hendren, but still. Kirk Gibson was the one that struck out the most at 103. But anyway, I just thought that was a cool stat to mention because definitely the Braves are Braves are insane. The Braves are just yeah. destroyer of worlds right now. And but yeah, all right. Now let's go into our inside or excuse me, the good, the bad, the ugly this week in baseball. All right, 
Chris, what is your good, the bad, the ugly this week? My good, speaking of the Braves, is Freddie Freeman. No longer with the Braves, of course, but but I, I was curious. I wanted to look to see who's been performing the best since the All-Star break. So basically roughly 25 games. And it's Freddie Freeman. Since In 24 games since the All-Star break, he's hitting 433, 509, 753. That's with six home runs, 29 runs scored. It's good for a 239 WRC plus and 2.2 war in just the last 24 games. Wow. And that's how you turn a, a what, what would be a parent runaway MVP race for Ronald Acuna Jr. into a contested race. Right now on F4, or by F4, Acuna and Freeman are one and two at 6.3 and 6.1. So, yeah, he, he's ridden about a month of games into really challenging for another MVP. So it's sometimes it's fun to highlight the good players. My bad is Ellie De La Cruz, which is a bummer. But anybody who paid attention to what he, what he was doing in the minors, I don't, this is shock, right? This is, he was always a guy with insane tools, but not necessarily a lot of in-game ability. That, that didn't sound right. Just a lot of warts too, I would say, right? Like there were some, some real concerns with him. And since the, the all-star break, he's batting just 182 with a 40.7% strikeout rate. He does have five home runs, but his WRC plus is 50 and it's a negative 0.3 war. And there's tons of talent there, like we said. And that's why I always do this with my bad, right? This is somebody who's playing bad, but somebody who isn't bad, I say. But uh, there is a long-term concern there, too. And, and I think other people have mentioned this. It's, it's his ground ball rate. You know, he's got insane power, but he puts the ball on the ground way too often. And for a guy with that speed, not necessarily the worst thing in the world, but still, since he came up, he has a 2.6 ground ball to fly ball ratio, which is the second in the majors behind only Tim Anderson, who was, of course, having possibly the worst year in baseball. Yeah. Yeah, it's been ugly for Ellie De La Cruz, even though he's still very fun. It, or it's been bad for him. It's been ugly for the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Florida Marlins. Since since June or July first, Arizona is eight and twenty-four. And which is the worst record in baseball. And the Marlins are twelve and twenty-one, which is the second worst record in baseball. And Arizona's just one and nine in their last ten games. It, it's an epic collapse here. They, uh, and I can't help with them. I can't help but feel like they should have done more or could have done more at the deadline. Although maybe they knew that they were playing way over their heads and, and didn't want to go all in. But like, they went out and got Tommy Pham and, and Paul Sewald, right? But they traded away Andrew Chafin. It was like, all right, I guess you can move both ways at the same time. Now the Marlins, they did. We were pleased with what the Marlins did. But still, they've been struggling. And as it stands right now, the Marlins, I think, are clinging to the last wildcard spot in the National League, and the Diamondbacks are actually out of the playoffs right now. Yeah, it's, it's getting ugly there for them. It's Robert bummer. Carroll's over. up hitting, right? I think so, yeah. I, I know he's, he got that had that shoulder injury, and it looked really bad, but he did come back. But it's, it's I don't know, it's been tough out there, and, and, and it's a bummer because we were excited about some all this new blood making making strides, and then a month later, sure enough, the Dodgers back in first place, and <laughs> Braves and Phillies are running away with things. But, uh, all right, Uber. My good... For those who have Twitter, and maybe while I'm talking about it, Raj might even be able to find it for the, for the YouTube folks. If you saw the video put out by Pitching Ninja today with Curtis 50 Cent Jackson throwing his infamous opening pitch, okay? First pitch of the game, uh, where he basically showed no arm. He fired it off to the left. And there's a uh, Javi Baez waving at a pitch way outside. It's one of the funniest little clips I've seen in, in, in months. It was really great. Now, obviously, 
Javi Baez, all the sympathy in the world. He, he lost his grandfather, and that's that's terrible. But still, we can find humor. If you see that video, that'll be one of the best little uh, smirks you get in, in quite some time, I would imagine. Be on the lookout for that. Again, it's 50 Cent and Javi Baez. My bad was the, the Reds. They made basically no moves. They picked up a kind of a, a ho-hum reliever from the A's at the deadline and didn't do a whole lot else. That's a team with a lot of young talent. And as Chris said, De La Cruz is struggling a bit. Who knows what the next month will bring. They were in first place not long ago. Now they've been two and eight over their last 10. And they've, there it is. That, that is amazing. <laughs> hey, watch this all day. <laughs> That's really good. Oh, oh, man. I almost dropped my phone when I saw that. <laughs> All right, I, just go ahead. I'm sorry. I actually watch it too. Just keep watching it, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, the Reds have fallen to third place. They are struggling as well. Matt McClain is still hitting, and he's been a, a revelation for them. But their bullpen has gotten shaky. They, I watched them blow a lead. I was hopeful for the Reds' sake, for again, for the media market team to make a run this year and be a year early with some of their young talent. I, I'm starting to get a little queasy on that one as well. They might be joining the D-backs and the Marlins here soon. Ugly. I didn't know this. And I knew, obviously, we knew the A's are bad. Our record is 33 and 82. Their run differential is negative 276. I didn't think that was possible. The Tigers are fourth <laughs> in baseball. Mine was 98. Okay. And that's bad. Minus 276. That was, that was mind-numbing to me. I was stunned when I saw that. So man, they have fallen. They need to, they need to go to Las Vegas. Why would Oakland people even want that anymore? Move on. Yeet. All right, my good. And we we're talking about the All Star break, and I was looking at, and one of those things where you suddenly look up and go, "Wow, Toronto." So Toronto, my good is Toronto. So they are twenty and thirteen since the beginning of July, and along with Seattle have been writing really, and what they've been getting really has been pitching. And the reason why, I, and the other part of it too, is their, their pitching staff as a collective has a 5.7 war since July 1st. And this is a team that really didn't, Toronto didn't really do much at the trade deadline either. They did a couple small things, but usually Toronto does something big, but it's been really a combination of just, they've been getting some pitchers coming back from health and everything, but overall, keep up in a division where Tampa Bay went 12 and 19, the same stretch. So Toronto made up some ground. So I also wanted to mention too, because of Seattle, Seattle 24 and 10 since July 1st and just playing some outstanding baseball. And it's one of the, again, the, the, the biggest thing I take away from that too, on the opposite side of what Arizona, by the way, hosting a 5.33 ERA the month of since July 1st is how much pitching just goes a long way. Just a little, it's it just, I cannot, I always talk about pitching, 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 pitching. And I'll, Tampa might be in some trouble because all the injuries from their staff are adding up and trials getting healthy around the, right at the perfect time. Isn't Barrios pitching well again? Yeah. Suddenly? Yeah. He's looking like the, uh, he's looking, he's looking like the ace of old. Mm -hmm. So that's the way. They need him to step up at the best time, too, because Baltimore, even thinking Baltimore hasn't missed a step either. 
and they're all competing right now for just wildcard positioning, if you will, in the East is still far yet to be over. It's fa- I, I, well, I look at the standings right now. Blue Jays are seven back of Baltimore right now. Baltimore is playing out there insane too, but Baltimore's been able to short their bullpen pretty well. Anyway, it's just a fascinating race over there in the AL East, and even with the, it, it's something to watch as a Tigers fan just because, or just as a casual observer of baseball, because they just play, it's a fun division. That is a fun division. And every team's over 500. But yeah, the Baltimore, and that's actually leading to my, thank you, Steve. My bad is Baltimore and the Kevin Brown situation. I think we brought him up on Monday and I didn't, we didn't have our segments then, but I'm just going to, it's bare repeating again. The whole, what Kevin Brown said was just giving a fact about how they did in Tampa and people have already seen it already. It is ridiculous. What a sad sack of crap the Orioles franchise is. Really, it really is. It is fall. It was just, we're talking about this on Monday. The glory days of the 70s and 80s are long gone. And there you have the one of the best, most talented farm systems out there. You have a deep roster. You're 71 and 44. What kind of ass clownery is that? Seriously, what the hell is wrong with you? You have the lights on you for the first time in a long time, and that's how you treat the fans, and it's how you treat, and you're the laughing stock where everybody's laughing at you. Other announcers are saying stuff about you. Get well, out even, of here. If, even if you think that guy is too negative, which obviously he's not, but even if you think he is, uh, they had a problem there that a very small problem, and they decided to use a hand grenade instead of a, a fly swatter. Unbelievable. They blew that up. I read an article by Dan Conley. He used to write for the Baltimore Sun, right? And now I, I, he's out with some small website. doesn't matter. But he had a lot of Orioles access. He said that for the last several years, the management in, uh, encourages the announcers never to bring up any of their former great players that they had to pedal off when they were losing, like Manny Machado and Kevin Gossman and and uh, Adam Jones, they don't want those guys even mentioned because it reminds people of how bad they were. <laughs> how, how petty is that? It's so bizarre. What? What is this? Is it a communist regime over there? What the hell? They're, they're trying to memory hole like a whole generation. Like this, it, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. We talked about it before. Owners are very, very weird. I don't think that, yeah. that Michael Elias cares about that stuff. That was before him. He's just busy building a really good team somehow. But yeah, I don't know. Owners can be so petty. It's ridiculous. Man, I, I'm sure he probably has some sort of, he has a, so it's, he has a machine and wow. Michael, Michael, who's a resident Baltimore expert, by the way, says in a YouTube chat that Angelos is shaking down Baltimore for $300 million and parking lots to build a economic center. Are you getting 600 million once a lease is signed? Good Lord. A cheap fuck. Sorry, my language, but it's true. But just, no, it, what a clown. What a clown. What a clown. What a clown. No, it's yeah, it's, it's a no-win situation for Baltimore fans on that regard. But uh, my ugly this week is the combo of Aunt Angel Hernandez and Lance Diaz. And we've, look, look, the bottom line fine is. Gentlemen. For me? <laughs> fine gentlemen. For me? Fine gentlemen. Fine gentlemen. Somehow you're going to stick up for these guys, right? I think I think at this point Hernandez is just trolling everybody. I really believe that. I really think he doesn't know what he's doing. But 
Lance Diaz, I don't know what the hell that guy is doing, but here's the, this is the Aaron Boone. Somebody asked about this earlier, if I didn't post this yet, but yeah, it looks like he was doing the Fred Bear, like the Fred Buck, Ted Nugent song. Or yeah, it looked like he's doing, you could, that, that should be a dance. I guarantee you there's going to be some, somebody in New York that will do that as a dance, the Boone dance. Just get up and, and do that. So I put, see, this is the Boone, the Aaron Boone, meter right here on the top right of our screen is how we feel about the tigers right now we're all in a good mood it was yes. I, I this is yeah by the way the <laughs> daily ninja bees with angel hernandez will be responsible for when skynet takes over oh what was, was miles dyson was that the guy's name yeah miles dyson <laughs> the actor that played him the gentleman that put uh, skynet online yeah that, that the reason why is because angel was Pretty much out of the spotlight. Yeah. There's a chunk of time he missed. He was hurt. He was hurt. Okay. He was hurt. Okay. You would think you would spend all the time going, you know what? Maybe I should, uh, maybe I should improve my game. Maybe look at it. No. No. It's not my problem. It's everybody else's problem. Angel, he's a lightning rod. He, he's he's very, he's just so inconsistent. And I agree. I don't think he cares that much. I don't think the, the idea of holding up the craft is very high on his list. I think he likes cashing the checks. I really do. Apparently, yeah. Lance said to the Boone, he said, Phil Blue, the Yankees suck. It was bad at his job. It made it way too personal. I can see Lance Diaz do, yeah, doing that. A lot of these umps do have some sort of grudges. Lance Diaz is terrible. He's got well, a crap strike zone, too. Laz Diaz is a former Marine. So he's more confrontational. He's, he's from the old school. He's got to be one of the oldest umpires. He might be yeah. the oldest umpire, but he's up there. So he comes from that older school where where he's more combative. A lot of the younger umpires now, they just stand there and take it, right? There's not a whole lot of bitching back and forth. But Laz Diaz was not going to take that from him. And he looked at the stats the next day. I think his strike-to-ball ratio or something. Balls that were called strikes, he was at like 66%, which is insanely low. Just right. unbelievably low. The only thing I'll say, though, is they were all clustered in the same spot. And decades ago, before the, the strike box was on TV, we always would say, well, as long as they're consistent, the players will adjust. I don't think he's ever, he's, he has never come out of that mindset, right? He's nowhere near that box. All those pitches were in the same spot. He was calling them all strikes, but they weren't strikes in today's game. Yeah, he's... He... <laughs> I think he's worse sometimes than Angel Hernandez because he doesn't – Angel Hernandez, well, they're, they're both pretty bad, but I think the reason why he's worse is because of the confrontation aspect of it. But just more and more, he's so – I was just reading about him. He, he's 60 years old. I don't know where that ranks among – Oh, really? I thought I would have guessed he's older. He looks older. But there's a funny note here on his Wikipedia that I don't remember this happening, but during a game on May 30th, 2012, he got into an unusual argument with New York Yankees catcher Russell Martin. According to Martin, DS punished the catcher for disputing the strike zone by not letting him throw new baseballs out to the pitcher and claiming that his disability had to be earned. So I think basically he threw all the baseballs back to the pitcher. Yeah. Just, yeah. What is going on here? What? Am... what that, oh, yeah. He's, they're calling for the rake. He wanted someone oh. to come rake. Yeah. So they're calling out the angel dance. Yeah. Angel. This is. 
Oh, all right. Well, yeah. For people listening at home, just do yourself a favor, go on Twitter or go use your local search engine and search some of the clips from Angel Hernandez, Lance Diaz this week and enjoy the chuckle. It's uh, yeah. It's overall a lot of good umpires out there. There are a lot of good umpires. Oh, Pat Holberg, the goat. Who is Pat Holberg? Pat I think he's oh, the yeah. only one who's ever had a perfect game in the, in the yeah. umpire tracking era, right? Yeah. And he did, it, he did it in the world series. Yeah, he's the, he's the Dan Larson. All right. Anyway, yeah, that's just, yeah. There, there, there's a couple of things. And like I said, some of the some of the ass clownery this week in baseball has been pretty pretty extreme. It really has. We have it, We have the Baltimore situation, the umpires. Jim Joyce is the GOAT. Yeah, that's, that's funny. Joseph, no, that's funny. It's it's funny. No, you're good. You're he, was a, he was a very good umpire. He just had yeah. that one unfortunate career-defining call. It's the, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't know about Don Dinkinger if he had a great career. I only know him for the one horrible call that he made. They they both had really good careers, and and I I, I like the way he handled that too. Joyce, yeah, or Dinkinger, both no, both of them did. I don't know Dinkinger. are not or how you say his name again? Don Dinkinger. Dinkinger. Yeah, and I don't I don't know how he handled it. I, I really I, I don't remember I, how he handled it either, but I know that Joyce handled it pretty well. Oh yeah, way, yeah. He's a classic. He, he, he admitted after the game, he admitted that's the huge thing, right? That he admitted that he screwed up the call and he was upset. He was crying that he cost the guy a perfect game. He, like, you could see that it killed him. Hugely remorseful. It was the biggest call of my life and I kicked it. Yeah. yeah so he, he, it was hard hard for anybody to stay angry at him. I think people still bring his name up, but I don't think it's actually super angry at him. Yeah. He, he admitted that he was wrong and, and not many umpires do that. Not that I'm not aware of. Yeah, he was a little, well, little, little Joseph. Yeah, Joseph's right. He was legitimately upset. Come on. No, wrong one. Oh, man. Anyway. All right. So, on that note, I'm trying to, in terms of, like, oh, uh, we had a couple of good and bad, the uglies from some questions, too, I believe, as well. Let's see here. Where was Steve? Give us a bunch of good and bad, the uglies, right? Or, uh, Inside the numbers. The numbers? Yeah. yeah. Uh, There's good ones, too. Yeah, so his it was his inside number was one point one four. Was whipped through ten starts. Let's see here. Let's see here, you had another one. Yeah, so he had that one. Find another one here. There's so many. Oh, so he's talking about stats. I can't. Right, I can't find. Oh, oh, okay. Here it was his other inside number was two point two. That's Tyler Holton's WAR for twenty twenty three of the best Tiger waiver pickups. So thank you, Steve, for those. Oh, man, Tyler, one day I want to hear these stories about you. And Tyler says, when I up the Little League games, I got torn over botch calls on nine-year-olds. I, I believe it. One of my nephew's games and my niece's softball games. Yeah. So he, was, he said he was umpiring, right? Yeah. Well, I can tell you right now, the calls you miss stick with you forever. I can tell you what color uniforms teams are wearing on, on plays that I really know I kicked them. You make great calls and you, yeah, you just move on. But, man, the ones you miss. Or the, or the big arguments. Remember the big arguments too. Even when you're right. Yeah. It doesn't. Yeah. It's it's amazing the amount of my son is gonna is also gonna affect his path a little to the major leagues. Calm down. Calm down. All right. So Thank Steve you. Butts had a couple. So we'll start with Steve Butts. His question: Alex Fajardo and Lee Sultan have exceeded many observers' expectations. Many would have predicted that each would eventually be shifted to the bullpen. Do you still think that's the case, or will each? continue to fight to remain in the rotation. 
Yeah. Uh, who wants to go? Yeah. I, I have my opinions. I, I still think, I still think Bido works best in the bullpen, but you could argue that, that he's made a better case to be in the rotation than Matt Manning, right? He's got, he's got an illegitimate out pitch where Matt Manning doesn't. Fido runs into home run trouble and he'll have a couple blowups, but yeah, it wouldn't, I wouldn't be too upset if he's, he's in the rotation. I just feel like he'd throw harder and that slider would work better out of the bullpen. Olsen, I thought was for sure a bullpen guy because the fastball was never located where it needed to be. It was in the zone. It was getting hit hard and suddenly it is. I have no problem. He's another guy. Who do I feel more confident about starting going forward? Reese Olsen or Matt Manning? Probably Reese Olsen because he's got multiple out pitches. So yeah, I, I think that's what, that's a good lesson for everybody is, is that these guys can evolve and continue to get better in the big league. Unless you think Matt Manning. I think when you look at that's so Manning and then with, with Wilson and uh, Fido, hey, who knows what the future brings, right? This could be the best 50 innings Reese Olsen ever killed. We have a long way to go. I think if they can find one starter out of those three that they can rely on going forward for the next couple of years, they've done extremely well. And then you got to believe one of the other two can probably slot into the bullpen and be effective. I think that's, I don't think they'll all remain starters. And you can say, you think this guy, I, I like your point that Olsen has more out pitches than the other. That's definitely true. But to say which one will and which one won't, not enough evidence right now. We got to move forward, see where we are in a year. Yeah, I'm the same boat too. And you can put Wentz in there too. Cause Wentz, I know, yeah, I always look bad, but he's got a couple pitches when they're, again, just, just last year, he had some really good data with his fastball and his change. And so, if, if they can get, I'll put once in that conversation too. If they can at least get that, because right now Casey Mize, we don't know when he's coming back. And, and, and as far as Manning goes, it's the same thing. Manning, Manning is maddening sometimes when you watch him because you can see sometimes where he looks just straight out dominant, and then sometimes you see what happens like against Tampa, where they're sitting on the fastball or sitting on the slider, and just slider's not doing anything; it's just breaking all the blatant. Um, but once. Yeah, once might be better suited out of the bullpen. Uh, as I hate to say that, but we'll see. Again, it's. I think next year. I think with Olsen, there's some bullpen risk because he's always been a five, six inning guy. He's never been a guy who goes yeah. seven innings. So I think he can easily go in the bullpen. And sometimes but, it's just a matter of of team need, right? If the Tigers went out and signed two good starters in the offseason, some of these guys, if they're going to be in the big leagues, they got to be in the bullpen. And then yeah. that goes for Kyder Montero. Who we have as either the second or third best pitching prospect in the system, but we've we've heard from people in the organization that think that you put him in the bullpen and he's got closer stuff. So it's like, yeah. what do you what do you rather do? You want a, a back end starter? You need to keep developing in the big leagues, or you want to just throw the guy and let him air it out for an inning? So yeah, it, it, a lot of it it's just depends on need. But I don't know. That's a fun question. I think. Too. No, definitely. That, I, I I like that question. Next one is from Deadly Ninja Bees. Who's next year's Resolson? Do you expect Harris to slow roll the promotions, Clark? Basically, the rest of the 2023 draft class. Look, it, as far as next year's Reese Olsen would go, quote unquote, if it's going to be somebody, I think it's maybe something that comes out that the Tigers get in a trade or something along those lines. Maybe Lyle Lockhart comes out of nowhere, but you're starting to see now towards the end of the season, and we could see this the next couple of weeks too, more and more of the filtration of 
crap out of the system. Just guys that are like, hey, you're not going to be here next year. Boom, gone, move on. And so we're going to start seeing that. But I, I would say somebody like maybe Lockhart or I, I think even somebody, if, I, if I'm just trying to think of like off top of my head, double, double A and triple A right now, maybe Matt, like just maybe Madden comes out of nowhere. Like Madden's been so inconsistent and then it just gets it together and boom comes in. You can see him. He has a, he has a ability the velocity to be the major league level. He pitched really good today. He pitched 104 pitches too. So seven innings today, which I think is the highest any Tigers prospect all year. And that's correct. Wild about that is that the very first at bat was against Matt Frazier. We've seen Altoona a bunch, and they're just a bunch of annoying older players that put together these. They're the oldest team in the Eastern League too. But it was it was an 11 pitch walk I think to start the game. <laughs> And, and then he went on to pitch seven scoreless. So wow. it was re- really good for, for uh, I'm adding. Let's put it this way. What, if, if gun to your head, what pitchers in the system definitely make a debut next year? Oh, Flores. That? Oh, Flores, Montero. I think Madden. And I'm going to go and take a stab at Job at the end of the year. Nice. I'll shoot my shot. Yeah, I think if, if you're looking for the most like Reese Olsen, it's probably Montero. Montero doesn't have Olsen's really great changeup. It's developing, it's getting better. But of course, Olsen isn't really using his changeup much in the big leagues. He's relying on the spin and the fastball, which Montero has. And the same the same issue that Montero has right now is command. He throws strikes. It's just not where it needs to be in the zone. You could also see, we've talked about this, Sawyer Gibson Long maybe is, is a guy who yeah. unheralded. We didn't really rank him. First couple of times we did prospect lists and he's just gotten better. He's got a Fido level slider, I think, at a time. It's a low 90 fastball. He's developed a cutter. His changeup's pretty good too. So he's a guy I think who could surprise some. I, I when we're saying Olsen, it's not like Olsen is, is setting the league on fire. I saw a tweet today from Aaron Gleeman that, that he's got a like a zero ERA against the Twins and like a six ERA against everybody else. But yeah, I, I think there are a number of arms in the system that have the the stuff and the strike throwing capability to, to take that step forward and become a viable big league starter. Yeah. There's Tigers have some in, intriguing arms that may not be on top 100 prospect list, but at least they have some, again, risky being one of those examples of a late arm that came out of, or excuse me, in the late rounds that came out of development. So, so what is the scenario of Joe being there next year? What do you see? I, I just see it as a scenario. If he gets off to a really good start in double A, let's say, he ends the year, he starts the series in double A and he just tears up double A and just demolishes. And then they have an uh, issue or they have an injury or something along mm-hmm. those lines. I could, a total emergency. The Tigers have already, I don't see Turnbull coming back. I don't, there's, again, you don't, I'm not sure 100% Mize is going to be a guaranteed thing. So they're going to either address it by signing, if they sign a couple of pitchers, then I'll change my mind about that. But if they're going to, it really depends on how their offseason goes. But if, if they keep it, well, they maybe sign one or two pitchers, maybe sign Michael Lorenzen back, who knows, then I could I could definitely see that. Right. Yeah. Erod, whatever the case is, I, I just for the sake of depth purposes, as far as a slow roll for the rest of Clark, the rest of the 23 draft, I th- I don't know why all of a sudden people have such a problem with this. That's the, how the way the, the, Tigers, the Tigers have been very sl- slower than they normally are, granted. But... Gave some point. Like Tay Madden going seven innings today. That was the fir- the first time all season he threw 104 pitches. They have their development, and if Clark 
Clark, I'm sure, will probably be in Lakeland, probably maybe by the end of the month. More than likely. But yeah. I can't see him because they don't show him on TV. It'd well, be nice. Get him, get him to Bradenton next week. In, in oh, GM. dude, I'm, I'm right um, now. I'm, yeah, I got it. I was looking, Riley Green played nine games in the complex league and, and hit about as well as Clark is right now. I think Riley had five walks and 12 strikeouts in nine games with two home runs. Clark right now was, it was four doubles, a triple, two home runs, like one walk, three strikeouts. Yeah. Like he, he deserves a shot at better competition. And, and also maybe just that taste of going on a road trip. They, they go on road trips in the complex league, but it's a day thing. They go there and they come back. In Florida, maybe they do it no matter what, but I would think you go on a trip to Clearwater, you're out there for five, six days. You experience what it's like to be on a road trip. And I think he's advanced enough to do that. I don't think, I I don't know if they're really slow playing a lot of guys. There was basically leaving Colt Keith in double A was the one where everybody's like, come on. All right. He just went six for six. He's absolutely demolishing this league. Move him up. Other than that, like you can, you can justify basically every other move and non-move they've made. They've. Montero has jumped two levels this year. I think he's the only, yeah. I guess, O'Loughlin did two, technically, but it wasn't, like, graduated. He just jumped over double-A and went back briefly and then came back up. Gibson Long went from double-A to triple-A. He was really, the, the shocking thing to us was, the, the big difference, I think, was the initial assignments were a lot more conservative yeah. than we expected. And I think, you know what, I don't think that's a bad thing. Because yeah. when, when we went and watched, the time end was inconsistent. Wilmer Flores' stuff wasn't as good. Like, you can justify not sending those guys up to AAA because it wasn't really there. Everybody wants to see Malloy. Everybody wants to see Meadows. We talked about the stupid service time stuff about that. Another 10, 12 days, and they keep their Rookie of the Year status for next year. But yeah, I think... Come on, hot take central here, Ken. If Max Clark keeps hitting home runs and doubles and triples, is he a 19-year-old Bryce Harper in the majors? (laughs) Oh, God. I, when he's 19 in, in uh, a couple months, I think. <laughs> I think he turns 19 in November, maybe in well, December. And no, I, I was know, kidding. Yeah, I got you. But, but I'm sure some people. But I could see him moving at, at, at about the same pace as Riley Green, right? Which is sure. Riley Green made it to low A in his first post-draft year. And then, the, then it was 2020, so missed that. But if we project that, and then he just went right to double A and was fine. After the first month, he was fine. So I think you can project Max, uh, Max Clark to double A in 2024. Not, no, 2025, right? Yeah. He may make it next year. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, with, with uh, going back to Job, if he pitches the way he has in his first two starts in the Midwest League over, say, the next four outings, it wouldn't shock me if they send him up to Erie for playoffs. Because his stuff is that yeah. good. Like, it, 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 you could get into a lot of trouble if you're trying to win the playoff series and you bring a guy up there for his debut. But maybe they get him one or two starts in the Eastern League just to get a taste of it. Because the stuff is that good. It's, wow. it's the same, like I said, like I said with Olsen, like I said with Montero. The stuff is absolutely there. The only difference is, is the command. And that comes with more innings and just yeah. more experience. And it was one of the funny things I think I mentioned in the last show was like, uh, or maybe it was the minor league show, how he backdoored, he threw a, a backdoor cutter. I was like, ah, oh, that's on purpose, man. That's a great pitch. They did it against Blue Watson. And then I saw he interviewed with, with Aram Layton. And I actually talked about that pitch. He's like, yeah, I wasn't trying to do that. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> but we, we've talked about that before, where Colt Keith would hit line drive doubles down the left field line. And yeah. Great hitting. If I did that, I, I didn't mean to. I'm like, all right, fine. 
not making us look bad by thinking you guys could do this stuff, but uh, I think it comes with, with just a good approach and good stuff. But uh, so good thing. And, and then, yeah. I don't know, Steve that's had why, one more question. I don't know. That's, I was just about to get to that. So it's one of those things where I, I, again, the stuff could play at double A at this point. And lastly, with Steve Buss's final question, Michael Lorenz was on the verge of becoming a fan favorite. I'm certain that there will be more likely room for him after last night's no hitter, which should have been a good or good or inside a number, but it's, I think it goes without saying. What former Tigers are you most likely to root for on other teams? That's a great question. And I really, if off the top of my head, if I had to think about it, Nick Castellanos, I'm a, I'm a fan of his in terms of going on, doing better things in Philadelphia, although he was vilified here. Justin Verlander. For me, you know, JD. Justin Verlander. Yeah, JD and, and, and for me. Oh, JD. Eh. JD and whatever I, I I'm okay with it. I mean, it's just I, I don't really have any feelings. I'm indifferent about that. The my favorite former player that went somewhere else, all time Tiger moment or it was uh, yeah that moment would be along the lines of Tony Clark because Tony Clark became it, him and Cecil Fielder both were a pretty interesting post Tiger careers. Yeah, I, I thinking of former Tigers still playing right now. There's not a ton of them. I could never, ever, ever root against Curtis Granderson. Uh, I guess the one time I did was when he, like, almost uh, threatened to to derail Miggy's triple crown because he kept hitting home runs at the end of the year for the Yankees. But I think Granderson actually took himself out of the game, so he wouldn't, as I recall. It's good guy Curtis. But yeah, I've I've never had an issue rooting for Verlander just because he's he's probably the greatest pitcher uh, for the Detroit Tigers that I'll see in my lifetime. I can't imagine ever seeing uh, another pitcher as good as him. Basically, the last, the last of the horses. There's, I, I don't know if there will ever be another pitcher who, who goes 250 innings in a year and throwing 101 on his 120th pitch or whatever. So I, I have no problem rooting for him. I root for Scherzer, but beyond that, Candelario. It's nice to see him have a really nice bounce back. Oh yeah, he never, did, he yeah. never did wrong by us. He just had a really rough year. And I don't even mind like Willie Castro playing well because I actually, I, I think I was one of the people who was higher on Willie Castro and justified. AJ Hinch continuing to play him because just because of the tools, the tools are there. He's like, over there. He's got like 30 seals. Yeah, Dick Lorenzen just seemed like a good guy, good dude. And I'm, I'm happy for him. That's you know, two awesome starts for the Phillies. Dave Dombrowski, I was telling, I texted Raj last night. Dombrowski seems to have that starting pitcher trade magic oh, outside of Jared Washburn. Yeah. Yeah. That was about the only miss. That's for sure. For, for me, it's JD Martinez. I love JD. Yeah. I, I root for him at wherever he is. I was always a big Scherzer guy. So I've, I've followed his career with Washington and, and the moves he's made since then, but mostly with Washington. I'll always watch him pitch. And of course, hey, we all miss Gregory Soto. I'm kidding. Kidding, everybody. <laughs> I, hey, you know what? Gregory Soto wouldn't. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I guess. The only, I like him too. I don't necessarily root against Gregory Soto, but <laughs> if he screws up, I don't feel bad about it because the Tigers, the guys that got, the Tigers got for him still actively playing. It's like, yes. it would be nice if the Tigers want to trade, theoretically. Verlin is, is getting there. He's, I mean, he's a good player. He's, I, I, um, yeah, he's a legit player. Somebody mentioned Casey Mize earlier, and, and I was there at the game the other day when Verlin got his, I think it was his third triple of the year, and then they show up on the big board, and it's Casey Mize and Tarek Skubal doing this. They're putting their hands in front of their, their chin and wiggling their fingers. And I don't know what it was, but I was like, all right. Yeah, droll, very droll. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, the, I thought the, was it Skimmer Rinky Rinky Dink? Skimmer Rinky Do or something? Is that one? Skimmer Rinky Dink Dink? Yeah, maybe it's all that. Oh, wow. That's a good one. That's a good pull here from Problematic VG on our YouTube channel. He says, it's crazy that all four pro pitchers from Lorenzen's high school have thrown no hitters. Yeah, I saw that. I saw somebody found that last night and tweeted it. it, it, That's probably the the most insane baseball stat of all time. Yeah. Four four players from that high school. It's, oh, shoot, I forgot what it is. But uh, four of them have made the majors and all four threw no hitters. That's that's insane. Only four. And, and one of them is Walter Johnson, which is okay. But the other two are guys that are like, yeah, all right. Michael and, and Richard Nixon went there. <laughs> really? Which is, it's Fulton Union uh, High School. In Richard Cal- Nixon went to high school too. Yeah. So Yorba Linda, where is he from? They have oh two in the gosh. Hall of Fame, by the way. So they have two players in the Hall of Fame. They have a guy by the name of Archie Vaughn, who I've never heard of. Archie Vaughn, yeah, I've heard yeah. of him. I'm, I'm honestly not familiar with him. And then Walter Johnson, of course, the big, they called him the, did he have a nickname? Big train. Big train? big train. Yeah, the big train. Big train. Or the train. Big train. Yeah, the train. Archie Vaughn was a Pirates, right, wasn't he? Third baseman? That sounds about right. Yeah, no, he's a Hall of Famer. Archie Vaughn. Was he a Tigers third baseman? No, no, no. The Pirates. Oh, Pirates. Oh, no, no. He, no, no, no. Pirates in Brooklyn. Okay. A-R-K-Y, yeah. Wow. He put some really numbers. I don't know why I'm not, it's not that like 30s players crazy for me. But yeah, so what was the other? So it was Steve Busby, Walter Johnson, Michael Lorenz, and Mike Warren. So Mike Warren threw a no-hitter? Yeah. Martin, guys. That's one of the things. It's it's super fun watching a no-hitter or a perfect game, but we, I think we all instinctively know that. Yeah, sometimes it's just pure luck. But when Phil Humber's throwing a perfect game, all right. By the way, yeah, he was one of Billy Martin's guys, but the Tigers originally drafted him in the 12th round in 1979. It was released by the Tigers in 81. Hmm. So, yeah, he um, was Mike Warren, by the way, if you're ever interested in the knowing why the Tigers released him. When you go, when you post a 7-1, when you post a 7 ERA in Lakeland, and how, yeah, that's not going to help you. I mean, in, in this two season, but he was drafted out of high school. And uh, yeah, he was five and 13 with the area of 6.03, allowed seven runs per nine innings. But uh, I guess they fixed him at Oakland. And Steve Busby was a good pitcher for the Royals. He yeah. was very solid. And I believe he was one of the first rotator cup guys when they started talking about rotator cups. Yeah. He moved his shoulder out. Uh, he pitched a lot of innings, but before that, he was really good. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a name I'm familiar with. Yeah, he, the Royals, the Royals didn't really have a like you talk about the Yankees in there in that period of time. They had Louisiana Lightning, they had Ron Guntry, they had Catfish Hunter, they had, but the Royals oh. and Charles. You always forget that Charles LeBr- Charles LeBrant, LeBrant, uh, LeBrant, yeah, Leonard, uh, yeah, Bud Black. That was towards the later part of the eighties and Paul Splitorf. Paul, yeah, Paul that's a name. That's a name I have heard a long time. Yeah, there. And I'm trying to think of another. There was. It, it, but anyways, yeah, those the Royals always had. Like, I don't want to say no namers, but if you look at comparatively speaking to the Yankees, they didn't have a true. I think Dennis Leonard won twenty games a couple times. Yeah, but I'm mean, like, but you're right. You know, no, you're right. Yeah, because if you, like, for example, Busby won twenty two games in 1974. It was a two time All Star, but then after he was in this, he he won seventy games, and that was it. That's what I'm saying. Like the Royals seemed like they had of had a few guys that. They had a little lefty named Larry Gura who couldn't. Oh yeah, so, he was the he was the ultimate soft tosser. Yeah, five <laughs> five. Yeah, like you see him out there, he barely looks like a pitcher. He looks like a high school kid out there. But anyways, so yeah, that's that's a that's a fun fact. That's a that's a really good stunt stat there to end the podcast. Oh yeah, they have another guy named Doug Bird. 
Yeah. Had a mustache too. Doug Bird. That he was closed for a while too. Yeah. Before yeah. Quisenberry. Yeah. For the quiz. Yeah. The what a, what a fun team that was. Okay. So yeah, uh, I would agree with Samuel. By the way, we do need to bring back some good nicknames in baseball. Time. Thank you so much for listening to the Motor City Metrics podcast here at TigerMileReport.com. So I'm trying to confirm a guest for our Sunday podcast on the minor league side of things. So hopefully he gets back to us as uh, we'll be doing a recap of the minor leagues on Sunday. We'll probably be doing a Monday show, Monday or Tuesday show. More likely I will not be there to, we'll see what happens, but either way, well, uh, there'll be another show on Monday, but uh, don't forget to check out all our great content. Our top 30 is over at TigerMLReports.com. And if you want to support the website and if you want to support our work and we really appreciate the, tips and all that stuff however there are several other ways you can do that too and you can support us through our patreon or our paypal which i'm trying to pull up and put the link in there now because there's no paypal goes right to us whereas youtube takes out 30 percent of our fees which is which is fine but it is what it is and all that jazz but uh, but yeah if you want to okay there it is i found it the power is re-ring over here is because everybody's using the ACO in here tonight, but the, yeah, it's it's weird. Let's just flick it on and off, or maybe because earlier I was playing with some AI stuff and I was I sent over a couple of voices over to I made a Casey Kasem voice. So I was trying to do a Jim Price voice, but then I'm like, I felt disrespectful, so I didn't do it. So we can wait, yeah. Yeah. But I put the link in our chat. So if you want to donate, mm-hmm. just go right to us. There it is on PayPal. On that note, all right, we'll see you guys. Have a good night.